Now, we'll move on to something a little bit more serious, and we're going international now, I suppose, or European. The war in Ukraine has lasted for, I suppose, nearly nine months at this stage, and shows no signs of coming to an end anytime soon. And so like many other countries, Ireland has opened its doors and provided shelter to some of the millions of refugees who have fled their homeland. And... To fill in some of the background and to bring us up to date with the current situation, we heard the news this morning how the you know the Ukrainians are winning and all that. We have Eddie Moxon Brown, who's known to you, I think, is he? Yeah, Patricia. Indeed. <laughs> As say. And Eddie is the Emeritus Professor of Politics at UL. And uh, so, Eddie, glad to have you in the studio here. And uh, you've been following the events in the Ukraine, uh, I suppose, nearly since it started, I'm sure. You know, so. First question, how bad are conditions on the ground in Ukraine at the moment? What, what are the main reasons people are fleeing, uh, are forced to flee their homes? Well, um, there are multiple um, problems that people are facing in, in, in Ukraine um, since the beginning of the war. Um, I think probably the main thing over the last few months has been quite serious shelling by the Russians of um apartment blocks and that kind of thing. Which Indiscriminate. Means, yes, against civilians. Yeah. And this has meant that a lot of families have been broken up. Um, women and children in particular have been forced to flee because they were existing in very um, frightening conditions. And um, I've heard you know, terrible stories about children particularly being traumatised by living in um, dark basements for weeks on end, not being allowed even to see daylight, and then emerging suddenly to be taken in a bus to flee the country, you know, to, to an airport or, or to go into Poland. And um, in some cases, children were actually being forced to tread over or around dead bodies in the streets and that kind of thing. So um, that's one series of things that, 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 are, that are facing them. The other is that families are obviously being broken up. Um, very old people sometimes don't want to leave their homes, so they stay behind, and the younger ones leave. But they're terribly guilty and they worry about the ones they've left behind when they come to, uh, to Western Europe. And then most recent problem over the last week or so has been the Russians are doing badly on the, on the battlefield, as it were. And so they've taken to attacking um, electricity supply in, yes. in Ukraine. And this means that great areas of the country have been uh, having blackouts, particularly the capital, Kiev, has sometimes had... 40% of all the houses suddenly plunged into darkness for quite a long time. So the wave of people that are leaving now, it's more from that than the actual violence, because the violence to some extent has subsided. But um, the fact that the Russians are trying, really the soft target of, of power stations and so on, means that people just can't stand the cold. I mean, the, the Ukrainian winter is coming on and it's a very severe, winter. you know. Yes, yeah, so I mean, we're talking about minus 30 degrees Celsius. Uh, you know, much worse than our winters here. Yeah. And they're fleeing that now, having to live in darkness and in cold. is just not on. So the latest wave of, of, of um, refugees is really fleeing that latest um, uh, wave of, of attacks on, on electricity supply, basically. And oil as well. Oil and gas lines yeah, yeah, are, yeah. are being attacked by the Russians. i just make one point, though. You talked about um, uh, the, the last 24 hours have been dominated by the... Um, the fall of Kherson, which is the main remaining city that the Russians controlled. And there has been, understandably, a lot of jubilation in that city and roundabout. But I think it's important, and I think the Ukrainian army realises that this is not the end of the war. And indeed, it may be a trap. I mean, it may be that um, 
Ukrainians have been drawn into the city and round about. But in fact, we know the Russians are actually digging in for the winter round the city and all the land behind is still under Russian control. So although it's good to see people dancing in the streets as they are at the moment, um, I think they and we need to be cautious about you know, the immediate prospects. Russia, of course, thought they could move into Ukraine and uh, nearly sweep through the country and people would bend over uh, backwards for them and that they were uh, releasing them from the <laughs> supposedly uh, restrictions that were on them. But I, my, my guess is that Ukraine, the Russian ar- army is mostly conscripts, yes. whereas Ukrainians, they're... Um, they're there because they're fighting for their homeland and their heart and soul yes, is in it. Yes. And that's why they're probably doing so well against mm. the might of Russia. Yeah. That's a very good point. In fact, um, not only conscripts, but recently um, the Russians have been so desperate for men, they've been releasing people from prison on the condition that they can serve their sentences by going into the army. And these convicts have been pushed to the front of the, the battle lines and they have orders, or sorry, the, the men standing behind them have orders to shoot them if they turn and try and flee. So the most dispensable parts of the population are being put in the greatest danger, whereas the real professional soldiers are at the back. So that shows how badly things are going, that Putin has had to resort to that kind of measure. When, when an army starts shooting its own soldiers, you know things are bad. And the other thing is we know that about 100,000 young men have fled from Russia rather than fight in the army. So that's another sign that morale is not good and they're not, they don't know what they're fighting for. Whereas the Ukrainians, on the other hand, are defending every inch of their own territory. This is their homeland. With their heart and, and soul. Really, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's quite a different story. So it's very uneven, in fact, the, the motivation on each side of the thing. And I think, obviously, motivation will win in the end. You know, so. Yeah, but apart from fighters who are, let's say, either trained or either they're voluntary or mm-hmm. uh, conscripts, but the real sufferers are the, the women and the children. Yes. And, of course, we've had um, quite a number have arrived in Ireland since early on, and we've taken them in with open arms. And when they arrive here in Ireland, uh, what are the main challenges that they face and um, what do they need most? Well, um, several things. I think what is often forgotten, I mean, we know that... Um, the government and the Red Cross and so on are providing shelter for all of them and certain things like uh, access to health care and uh, a certain amount of money to buy food and clothing where necessary. But what is not often um, mentioned is the psychological damage of people arriving. So there's been quite a demand for child psychologists to help children understand where they are and why they've come to a different country where they can't understand the language and so on. So there's a terrific emphasis now on trying to integrate children into the population. And I must say, schools have been very good. There's about 10,000 Ukrainian children in our schools, and they've, on the whole, have adapted very well. They've made new friends and all that kind of thing. But um, it is a very strange experience for them. And so there is a psychological dimension, uh, which isn't often mentioned, but is very important. And, of course, language gets in the way. I mean, it's all very well to have us child psychologist but that child psychologist must be able to speak Ukrainian or the child must at least know some English in order to be helped so toys amusements all that kind of thing for children are as important as some of the more basic things like food and shelter and I I think it's worth mentioning also the Irish population on the whole has been extremely generous um, right across the country 
um, you know, it has been a case of open arms, as you say. And this has been the biggest influx of um, refugees that we've ever had, this side of World War II, anyway. So I think there's a lot that we can take credit for, but um, there's about 60,000 uh, refugees in the country now, so it's a big challenge for quite a small country. <clears throat> and other consequences of the war, Eddie, I'm thinking about, for instance, how countries that formerly were not involved in NATO Mm. are now thinking of or wanting to join NATO mm. and the consequences of that on yeah. the bigger scale, you know, mm. and, and in the longer term. Mm. What, what could you well, say that's a good, that? Yes, that's a good point to make because what Putin has done is actually produced um, an international situation which was what he didn't want. He didn't want NATO to become stronger. He didn't want Western Europe to be more united. But as you say, neutral countries like Sweden and Finland have applied to join NATO as a result of the invasion. And um, this is not at all what, what, what um, Putin was, was, was planning at all. So it's all gone, it's really gone haywire. Not only did the invasion not work, but he's actually ranged a lot of countries against him in a way that wasn't, wasn't the case before. But having said that, I think it's also important to realise, and people often don't realise how threatened the Russians do feel. I mean, if you're sitting in Moscow looking west, all you see are all these countries with missiles pointing towards you, perhaps... In, for justified reasons, but it does make them very insecure. And I think the only way that this is going to end is to find a way um, which gives the Ukrainians what they want, but also reassures the Russians that in the future they won't be threatened by the West. Is there any possibility that if it all turned around, mm. um, probably a very naive question, but if it all turned around, would would you see that Russia could ultimately become an ally of the other countries rather than being threatened by them? Well, um, in fact, uh, until about six or seven years ago, Russia was technically um, part of the economic system of the West. And, and that's one of the sad things about this conflict is that the economic links between Russia and the West and vice versa were very strong. And we all lulled ourselves into a belief that war could never happen between countries which are so economically interdependent. But in fact, that economic interdependence has been used as a weapon in the war. I mean, both sides are penalising the other side by cutting off pipelines and so on. So I think the answer is yes. I mean, ultimately, peace would look like uh, Russia being readmitted to the fold of democratic nations. I mean, it is in the Council of Europe. It is part of the G20. It is a member of the Security Council of the UN. So on paper, it's part of the respectable uh, democratic family of nations on paper. But this recent episode has really um, put them beyond the pale, to some extent, on the international stage. And on a global front, what mm. about the position of China in relation to, um, you know, supporting Russia in the mm. current situation, or indeed mm. maintaining a position of neutrality? Yes. Well, that's a very good point, because again, um, I think Putin expected China at least to be silent and perhaps even supportive. But in fact, it's been quite noticeable that countries like China um, have made it clear they don't approve of what Putin is doing. I mean, they haven't actually um, sent arms to Ukraine or anything, but certainly they, they, um, they disapprove, and they've made that disapproval quite uh, public. Um, and indeed, some of the former Soviet republics have also told Putin that they're not on his side. So Russia is extremely isolated at the moment. Um, there's no, even against countries, even vis-a-vis -vis countries like China, which would expect to be standing by them. You know. Can you see the Russians 
accepting that, that they've been isolated, that oh, oh, we made a big mistake here? Well, uh, it is amazing that they haven't yet. I mean, I think the Russian people, I mean, I, I, I do try to, to listen to what the Russian people are saying to the extent that that's possible. And I think they are becoming very alarmed and disillusioned with the leadership. So I think, um, I think eventually they will, but I think it'll, it'll be, it'll take um, a lot of pressure on Putin to make him realize that he has actually isolated his country. And I do, it'll, it'll take something fairly, uh, fairly obvious because he seems to be quite blind to the fact that he's led his country down a blind alley to some extent. Is it, is it really the case that, for example, um, one person's ego to some extent is determining the course of this war in the sense that Putin's ego mm. is very much to the fore and his recognition as a leader and all of that, that, in other words, some kind of victorious result for him mm. as an individual is mm. essential mm. for, in his eyes, or indeed in the, in the leadership's eyes, for a successful resolution of the war. Yes, that's part of the problem, is that I think his, his own career, his own reputation amongst his own supporters is tied up with, with this conflict. And um, I think that um, the only way that um, a peaceful negotiation can be arrived at is somehow g giving him or the people that support him a feeling that they've achieved something, because otherwise... Uh, I think he'll be out on his ear in the sense that about 60 or 80,000 people have died. Russians have died in this war. And so one day people are going to turn around to him and say, what do we die for? Yeah. What was yeah. it all for? Particularly yeah. because people have been deprived of information about what the war is really about. Yes, in fact. And the reality yeah. of the yeah. war. At the beginning, they weren't even told it was happening. They were told there was a, a, you know, a, a military... Um, exercise. Exercise going on, exactly. <laughs> and not to worry about it and just carry on. But suddenly... You know, 200,000 people have been drafted and people are saying, well, what's this for, you know? And when they hear that, you know, 80,000 people have died, they are going to say to Putin and his supporters, what was it all for, you know? And at the moment, he hasn't got much to show for it except a losing battle and lots of deaths, you know, and indeed an army which is shooting its own deserters. And that's perhaps something as well, that the, <clears throat> the suffering of the Russian people, particularly when one sees, you know, obviously mothers... Uh, mothers crying on television you know being mm. shown to be mourning and grieving yes. for the sons that they've lost for a cause mm. they didn't even know existed yes you know yes well, i'm glad you brought that up because again that just in the last um day or two I've, I've been reading these harrowing stories of where um the russians are, are retreating at the moment quite rapidly near Kherson, but they're leaving behind their own wounded on by the side of the road they're not bothering to carry them home and so the relatives of those dead people, or those d dead wounded people, um, have asked permission to go and look for them. So you've had these harrowing pictures of women, wives, and mothers actually setting out on foot to collect their bodies. Bodies, yeah. And what about the the, the situation where yeah. Ukrainian doctors, field doctors, and that type of thing mm. would come across these uh, Russians who, mm. who are? Oh well, they they are taken care of. Yes, I mean. It, Ukraine, on the whole, as far as one, um, as far as the reports can be trusted, are saying that Ukraine is abiding by the Geneva Convention, which means that all prisoners of war have to be treated with respect and must be given food, clothing, shelter, and indeed the wounded must certainly be given hospital Jesus. treatment, and they are, as far as I know. What is appalling is that the Russians are treating their own soldiers so badly. They're leaving soldiers to die yeah, by the side yeah, of the road yeah, and shooting those that desert. I mean, it's a totally different way of doing things. 
and the way they treat prisoners as well, and the way they've, you know, during the war have, have um, shot civilians, we know this, in cold blood, and have raped elderly women. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's a whole catalogue of war crimes to be Trust accounted is. for at some stage. Yeah. War is not pretty, never no, was, no, never will be, no. you know. And that's what we finish up maybe with this. We are nearly every generation, we're at the post-World War II, yeah. and we thought, and especially, let's say, in Europe, that we'd never, ever see yeah. anything like this happening again, you know, and it's yeah. disappointing that it's got to that. You know? Yes, it's sad, and it's, it's, it was unexpected, yes. Unexpected. That, mainly because I think of the economic cooperation that was really quite developed between Russia and the West, and so yes. we thought, well, they'll never want to fight because they lose all the benefits. But, but it's really, you know, that invasion, you know, it was it was such a surprise, even... Ukrainians didn't know that all these Russians massing on the other side of the border were doing anything except having a military exercise. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's very ironical. Yes. Um, it is a shock to the post-war generation. Yes. But I think after 2013-14 in Crimea, yeah. the Ukrainians were better pre- prepared than we in the West thought they were. Yes, they were. They knew what could happen. Yes, yes. Exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we could go on and yes. on and, and we'll come back to uh, various aspects of this. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I was almost going to mention the, the B word Brexit and all that, yeah. which is... Not today. <laughs> not today, not today. No, <laughs> no we won't come there, you know. <laughs> Eddie, thank you very much for well, coming in and giving us that yeah, insight yeah. on that. And hopefully... It's got that yes. this war won't last another no. nine months. No, you know. let's hope so. Yeah, exactly. So For humanity's sake, indeed. Yeah. Having me in. So, Thank you, Eddie. Yeah.